got Triple B's in the building. Big baller brand supports the NBA buzz and the inside buzz. We with you, man. Triple B style. The modern NBA is full of three-point shooting, and one of the most consistent and clutch shooters isn't in the league right now. I'm Mike Udomagala, host of Inside Buzz, and I'm sure you're wondering, who is it? Well, it's seven-year NBA veteran and one-time NBA champion Troy Daniels. Daniels, who won a championship in Italy this year, has the NBA back on his radar and is a must to be a spark off the bench for an NBA team. He's a career 40% three-point shooter, and in 2015-16, shot an insane 48% from three-point range in 43 games with Charlotte. In 2019-20, Lakers superstar Anthony Davis personally called Troy Daniels up and said, listen man, we need some shooters on this team. They signed him right on the spot, and he won a championship with them that season. It seems like right now they need him again. Through three games, the Lakers are shooting just 21% from three-point range. LeBron James even the first to admit that they need shooters. He said, this team isn't really constructed as a three-point shooting team. We'll see if Troy will get another call with the NBA or even the Lakers. That, of course, we'll discuss. So, Troy, welcome to episode 43 of Inside Buzz. It's a pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Of course. The first question I have to start with, you just turned 31, coming off a championship in Italy, now back as a free agent. I mean, there's a lot of teams in the NBA right now who could use some shooting. Have you gotten any calls, and is there any interest in returning? To be honest, I don't think I've gotten any calls. Um, you know, I talked to my agent maybe a week, a week or two ago, um, kind of really dry. Um, but, you know, I'm still, you know, working out, trying to stay ready. Um, obviously, the interest is there for me. Um, I'm pretty sure, you know, the interest is there for other teams as well. It's a lot, a lot of teams. I've actually been watching a lot more basketball than normal. Um, so I've seen a lot of teams that are struggling shooting that, you know, need some help. Um, so, you know, I'm always ready. And one of those teams, your former team, the Lakers. I mean, Troy, LeBron last week just said, we're not a team constructed of shooters. Right now, they're shooting just 21% from three as a team in three games to open the season. I mean, those just aren't NBA numbers. That's like a college yeah. team numbers. Like, yeah. Would you be able to help the Lakers if they were to give you a call? AD wanted you in 2019. He might want you again. That's an easy call. Um, you know, if, if they were interested, you know, obviously I would I would definitely be uh, interested and, and ready to go as well. Um, you know, just to, to tap in on that team as far as not being constructed to shoot. Um, I think in today's NBA, every team needs to be constructed to be able to shoot the ball. Um, you know, we all hear the defense wins championships type of thing but at the end of the day you have to put the ball in the basket so um you know getting guys that can do both um is obviously everybody's dream but sometimes you can't do that so you have to build you know teams around like okay this guy's really good at defense let's get another shooter over here especially with LeBron LeBron is a very very really really good player um and he does a lot but what he really needs is spacing on the floor if he has no spacing it's not going to really um, be to his benefit because, he, you know, he's not saying he's moving slower. He's never really moved that fast, but, um, you know, spacing creates little angles for him to get to the basket. Uh, you know, he commands a lot of double teams, him and AD. So um, those guys need guys that can shoot the ball, you know, and teams are going to, you know, pack the floor, especially when you got Russ out there um, with the guys. They're going to pack the floor, pack the paint. Um, got to be able to kick it out and guys got to be able to make open shots. So, well, if you look at all of LeBron's championship teams, let's say in Miami, Mike Miller and Shane Battier were like those guys who he'd drive in and kick out to in his later Cleveland years, J.R. Smith, um, Kevin Love was out there. So it's like, who who do they need on that team? Should it be like a Buddy Heald? Should they go after somebody like that? Because Buddy Heald would be a great, great option. I think they were looking to get Buddy Heald a couple of years ago as well. 
Um, I think that'd be a great pickup for them. They do need somebody like that, but you know, with the contracts and um, you know, how much Buddy Hill made, you know, considering how much the, the Lakers are in luxury tech, like it's it's a lot that goes into just getting those type of players. Um, but also I think, you know, and you know, there are other players like myself and other free agents that, you know, can really shoot the ball that doesn't that we don't command a lot of money. Um, you know, I'm if I'm not mistaken, I don't know for sure. I think, you know, vet minimum gets a tax break or some kind of break uh, on the uh, salary cap as well. Um, I've seen a lot of teams are utilizing the two way contracts and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I think that tax break or whatever kind of break it is that vet minimums uh, contracts get uh, for the salary cap, it was implemented so teams can use those vets and get those contracts on the books. Um, so and I haven't I haven't seen a lot of teams really going that route, but I feel like they should, you know, because the NBA is a lot younger than it used to be two years ago. But at the end of the day, um, you know, with with younger players comes, you know, something. So and it comes less experience or, you know, not, you know, breaking team rules and stuff like that. I feel like you need more NBA vets across the board in the NBA to be able to uh, show the way to some of these young guys who don't really know the NBA or don't really know, uh, you know, what to do or how to do it. And that's how I learned when I came in. You know, I, I had tons of vets, Marvin Williams, uh, Francisco Garcia, uh, Kimball. He wasn't really a vet, but he was, He was. you know, I, I looked up to those guys and they showed me the way. Al Jefferson, they really showed me the way. So I feel like the NBA is kind of missing that. You you kind of seen like the turn after after the bubble where teams were going, you know, more so to the younger guys. It's getting the the vets back in and, you know, um, going that route. So, um, you know, it's, I think it's a direct correlation to some of these these big teams who, you know, wanted to go to the trend of where the NBA was going and now they're, you know, reaping the benefits from it. Yeah. So. And Troy, I could, I could name a few off the top of my head and who I'm going to mention, I think a few of your former teammates, not Carmelo Anthony, but he's one of those vets who's still a free agent, but two of your former teammates on the Lakers, DeMarcus Cousins, Dwight Howard, Rajon Rondo, still free agents. Like, Crazy. Those guys should be in the league. Do you agree? Crazy. Oh, 100%. 100%. Um, especially Rondo, Cousins, Dwight, walking double-double. Um, those are really, really good players that can really bring something to the table right away. You know, you don't have to, you know, develop or this and that. They have championship experience, um, you know, and ready to go literally right away. All this old talk or these guys are old, this and that, at the end of the day, um, you know, we keep our bodies in tip-top shape year-round. You know, it's just part of being a professional basketball player. So those guys, I know for sure, including myself, would be ready to go if a team called. I just know 100%. Bro, you were in L.A. right before Westbrook got there. How did you feel about that trade, getting rid of Kuzma, your old teammate, Contavious Caldwell-Pope? And how do you think, you know, it's going right now? And what has to change? I think Kuzma getting out of L.A. was one of his, one of the, you know, best things possible for him. Um, and then the Lakers getting Russ, obviously everybody thought it would work, um, you know, and it's kind of not working at this moment, but Russ is a great guy. He, I mean, he's a great player. I think the media is just, you know, on him too much. And I, and also that's part of the game that comes with it. But at the end of the day, I think Russ just needs to relax, stop worrying about or stop, stop trying to critique um, interviews and stuff like that and just let it go, you know what I mean, and just play basketball. And like, you know, that's, that's, one, that's, that's my guy. So if I was able to talk to him or call him on the phone, bro, we don't care about none of that. You know what I mean? You get paid a lot of money, bro. Go out there and play basketball. Like we don't really care. You know what I'm saying? So um I think I think the media is like really, really on him. So it's kind of affecting him in that way. Um, but I I I obviously thought it was a was a good deal when it, when they got Westbrook. Obviously, what he brings to the table. Um, I think it's it's more so of just, you know, a coaching staff or um an organization figuring out how to 
uh, utilize those players. And it gets very tricky and very hard as far as playing guys with certain guys, like playing uh, Westbrook with with uh, LeBron, because LeBron demands the ball in his hands, but Westbrook also demands the ball in his hands. So it's a lot of stuff that goes into it. Um, and, you know, maybe there's only two or three coaches, you know, in the world that can really figure out how to critique those type of personnel. But, you know, the, the coach is the coach. The players are the players. You know, at the end of the day, they're all three, but it's not the end of the world. You know what I mean? So, you know, it, it, there's plenty of time left, plenty of games left. You know, I think the roster they have is is a little weak. I think they do need some shooters, but, you know, it's, it's not it's not a Westbrook type, type of deal. In 2019-20, you played 41 games with the Lakers, but you weren't on that championship team. They were gracious enough to send you a ring. The question I have, why doesn't Wikipedia and other websites consider you an NBA champion? And how does that make you feel? Well, if I'm not mistaken, I think Wikipedia, anybody can edit it or, you know, very some people can edit Wikipedia, whatever. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I, I feel like I was there for a long period of time. I was in the trenches, you know, with those guys. Um, I didn't ask to be traded. You know, it was, it was just – and I – kind of wasn't even traded it's just it's it's weird how it happened but um you know at the end of the day I got a ring you know I played with those guys I, I was on the championship team um you know even when we like the 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 uh the camp we LeBron had in Vegas right before the season like we just all had a feeling to be honest with you um that we were going to be a really 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 good team um and you know I think the move that they made with me I, I think I thought it was very premature I think they were just trying to do something just to do it um, but it, it, you know, it's just business at the end of the day. So I'm not really, you know, tripping on the fact that I, you know, wasn't on that team at towards the end, but it all ended up working out. I was able to be, you know, on the Nuggets was a blessing in disguise. We played in the bubble. There was a pause in the season. Anyways, there's just a lot going on that season. So, um, you know, I consider myself a champion. I don't, I don't need the media or anybody to validate me being a champion. Um, you know, I know who I am. I know what I bring to the table and I do have a ring. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, it is what it is. I was going to say, all you got to do is whip out that ring and say, oh, yeah, I'm not a champion. I'm not a champion right here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, after the Lakers, like you mentioned, uh, traded to Denver, you know, whatever happened to get you to Denver. Man, Jokic, is he the most disrespectful player in the NBA? Two MVPs back to back. And it's like he's not even covered in the media. I, I, I feel like he's a Hall of Famer already. I mean, just as he's so good and it's, he's so underrated. Um, you know, I feel like, you know, just have to be around him to know how like, really good he is. Um, can pass the ball, can shoot, um, very knowledgeable, knows the game. Um, you know, has has a has a has a presence the back to the basket, facing the basket. It's just, I mean, it's it's across the board, you know, rare, rare, rare talent. Um, you know, and I think he obviously doesn't even really care about the recognition or anything like that. Um, not even the money. You know, he just wants to go out there and play basketball and win games. So I feel like, you know. He's the ultimate uh, professional, ultimate, um, you know, big man in the league right now. So, I mean, he's just unbelievable, bro. And, Troy, tell me about the NBA bubble. I mean, I watched a few of your vlogs. I saw you start a YouTube channel when you were in there. But tell uh, me tell me the pros and cons about it. it. It looked like fun, but you're also away from your family. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, t I could have had a totally different answer. Well, I would have had a totally different answer before I went to Italy. But, you know, being away from your family for 10 months in another country is a whole different level. So I can't even – there's not a con, you know, as far as, far as that is concerned, as far as the bubble. Um, I think the biggest thing was um, just getting tested all the time. You know, just having having to deal with COVID was the was one of the worst cons. But at the end of the day, I think the NBA did a wonderful, great job as far as uh, 
uh, sealing everything in and having everything for us to do. Like we could go play golf. We, you had restaurants, you know what I mean? Uh, we go fishing, ride bikes. Like it was a lot that we could we could do within the bubble, not just sit in your hotel room, or whatever. Also, the players' lounge was unbelievable. Like you, you on the top floor of the hotel we were staying in, um, they had this whole penthouse like rented out, and it was just snacks at every single hour of the night, um, video games, uh, whatever you really needed. They, it was there, so it, it didn't feel like um, you know, we were like trapped inside of a bubble. It, it was more so like, dang, like they got a lot of money and, you know, they utilize it the right way. So that's how I felt. So like when you were in that lounge, would you walk in and say, see Giannis randomly, like Jokic around, LeBron yeah. around, like you would just see everybody yeah. kind of in the same common area? Yeah, you would. And that's kind of, it was kind of a different dynamic because I, I feel like the NBA has never, you know, been in that position and never... Uh, had a lounge where you just see Giannis walking, you know, or Kimba going this way. You know what I'm saying? Like, you just never thought you would see that. Um, and I think it was really good for the camaraderie of the league in general. Um, even when, you know, uh, some stuff happened um, in the bubble, when we had our, our when we had the meeting, we were, we were uh, thinking about shutting the, the you know, the, the NBA down um, as far as players. Like, we all came together. Um, and it was easy for us to come together because we were all right there. Usually guys have to fly in on gear. We have to be on Zoom. We have to do this. But everybody was there. and We could get into one room and just talk and meet and see what we wanted to do. Uh, so I think that was a very different dynamic that's never been seen before. And it was very uh, – I think it helped out the league and the camaraderie between those players. Yeah, that's the NBA brotherhood right there for sure. Yeah. Who was somebody on the Nuggets you really got close to in the bubble? Uh, Monte Morris, me and him was was kind of really tight. Uh, Jamal Moore, Jamal Murray, me and him was kind of really tight. Um, that's pretty much it. You know, everybody. We I felt like we were all brothers. You know what I mean? Like even though I was there for a short period of time, you know, with those guys, they welcomed me with open arms. And when you spend a lot of time with with uh, people every single day, um, you know, you get this kind of feeling of like, you know, this is kind of like a brotherhood. You know, you're going into the battle together, you're practicing together, you're doing all kind of stuff together. So. Um, overall, the organization and the personnel that was on that team like, that year was 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 amazing. It was, you know, first class. I know you saw it firsthand, courtside, Jamal Murray, absolutely <laughs> oh, killing, killing the crazy. league in the bubble. Him versus Donovan yeah. Mitchell was like a heavyweight fight. Um, you know, th then that next year he gets injured. So what do you expect from him this season, and what do you remember about him going off? Um, to be honest with you, I expect him to, to literally, you know, come out with a vengeance. Um, you know, being out for that long is tough. It's, it's tough mentally. Um, it's tough physically. Um, and you just never know. But, I mean, I think the perfect example right now is John Wall. Like, you, you don't know if you watch some of the game. John Wall is playing on another level, a different level. Um, and usually when you take, you're able to take that time off, you're able to watch your your minutes, is what you played up until this point, and watch the games, and it kind of slows down for you. Uh, so I feel like it's already has, it already has slowed down for Jamal. Um, but I think when he comes back, it's going to be, you know, even further um, to the extent of him going crazy. Like, again, like I think he, he's going to have a vengeance. And I hope he does, to be honest with you. Um, so we'll see. So in your career, teammates with prime James Harden, Dwight Howard, Kevin Garnett, Kemba, Vince Carter, Devin Booker, Jamal Crawford, LeBron, AD, Jokic, so, so many more of those legends. So out of all of them, who is the most skilled? The most skilled? Ooh. Not, not the best because we know that answer is LeBron, you know, all time yeah. great. But who is yeah. the most skilled? I would say LeBron is the most mentally skilled. Um, like, I, I don't think a lot of people you're not able to really see that unless you're actually around and see how he does that. Right here is crazy. Uh, the most skilled, I, I, 
Wow, that's tough. Between all the greats, I think the most raw talent, Jam uh, Jamal Crawford, no question. I mean, he'll do some Rucker Park type, you know what I'm saying, like cr something crazy on you, Craig. Um, I'm kind of torn. I want to say James Harden uh, as far as like most skilled, um, just because he, the way he manipulates, you know, what he used to uh, manipulate the the referees was very, you know, I've, I've even had a couple of referees like, I mean, come on, man. Like we, you know, you make a call and he's like, he's one of the tough, he is the toughest guy to call a game on as far as being a referee. So to me, you have to have skills to be able to do that. You know what I mean? So uh, I would say him, um, I, maybe Kimba, Kimba. I mean, he's very, very skilled, like coming off ball screens, him in the ball screen. If you were slow, big, you know what I mean? Like he's going by you. Um, how about Vince? How about Vince Carter? I did an interview with Costa Kufis, and he said when Vince was like forty years old, Costa saw him do unreal stuff with the basketball in practice. Oh yeah, that's I mean that's that's normal. I mean I got tons of stories for every single player I played with, but uh, Vince was he, he he lifted after every game. Um, I think he was around forty years old when I when we played together when he was in Memphis. Um, yeah, so he lifted, and it was, this is not like a regular lift. This is like kind of like heavy lift. Um, squats and everything. I'm like, bro, you just played 40 minutes and you're in lifting. It's unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. Um, but yeah, he, I mean, he could do some crazy little dunks, 360s and all that stuff. It just came very natural to him. So, um, yeah, Vince, I mean, he's a legend. Come on now. He's Vince Carter we're talking about here. So, um, yeah, but I feel like I got like a story for literally, you know, everybody I've played with and everybody brings something very, very unique to the table. But those guys that I named um, in those categories is by far. Houston James Harden, you said, you know, right before his MVP years, he was really a killer back then when you were on his team. Why couldn't that Rockets team win a championship? You know, sometimes, of, you know, what I've learned the past eight years of being in the NBA, egos can get in the way of a lot. Um, you know, it's just tough. when you, It's rare that you have a team who guys really don't care about, you know, certain stuff. Um, but we had a lot of egos on that team. You know, I love everybody. I love everybody on that team. We, we had a really good team as far as name wise. But as far as egos go, you know, guys, your personal vendettas and stuff like that. And with to their own right, you know, being a professional in the NBA, you have to think like that sometimes. You have to be kind of selfish sometimes like that because you have to be able to prepare for the next career. Um, but once one thing I've also learned being in the NBA on, on uh, really good teams is that when we win, everybody wins. You know, and it goes back to me playing in Charlotte that year. Um, obviously, we know it was it was it was one of those type of years where we're about to have very soon, where guys start getting crazy contracts again. Um, but it was like a it was a the TV deal had just hit uh, for us in in Charlotte, but we were winning, so we had like a franchise record in wins. Um, we were real. That was the closest team I've ever been, other than the Lakers, like the closest team I've ever been on. Um, and we were winning. So everybody, I think nine guys out of 15 or 10 guys out of 15 got paid that year. Um, and some stayed on the Hornets, some, you know, left go. I was one of the guys that left and went. But, you know, when you win, everybody wins. And I feel like a lot of teams, even to this day, really don't kind of understand that because it's like a doggy dog world in the NBA. Like even in the business world in general, like it's a doggy dog world, you have to be able to protect yourself um, and protect your interests later on down the road. So I think we had a lot of uh, – um, you know, personal agendas on that team uh, that year, but that doesn't stop the guys being the players that they were, you know. So. And Troy, how about that game winner against Portland? Game three, 2014, you're a rookie. The commentator said, Troy Daniels hits the biggest three of his life. Is that still true to this day? Yeah. Um, 
I, I think to a certain extent. Um, I think I think another big three that I hit that I felt like solidified me getting a big deal the next year was uh, the Sacramento Kings when I hit that that buzzer beater. Or I might not have been a buzzer beater, but it was a game winner. Um, and I had like 32. I think Cousins had like 50 that game. Um, I think the, 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 the rocket shot was unbelievable because not only just the shot, like that whole series I had was a really good series. Like the game before, that, I think I had like 16 or the game after that, like 16. Like I was really playing very well. Um, so I think, you know, obviously with the shot, you know, it gave me the chance to get into the door of the NBA. Um, but I think I feel like the biggest shot, which I feel like, cause once I hit that shot, I just knew, like I, my agent had called me right after like, wow. You know what I mean? Like you, you really solidified yourself. Was that Sacramento Kings again? So. Amazing. And yeah, my following question is what's it like to be in the zone and how does it feel mentally? When you're in a zone, you feel like you can't be stopped. Um, and it's kind of weird. I feel like other players can can attest to this too, as as well. Like when you when you're in that type of zone, or like you're 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 stand, you're, you're playing in front of 50,000 people on top of you know the, the subscribers on YouTube, or whatever, watching the games too, and the TV watching the game. Um, it's like I, I'm able to zone out everything, and the only thing that I focus on, or anything that I can see and hear, is stuff on the court. It's so weird, um, but it's and it's almost like I just go into this zone, like tunnel vision of I, I got this guy in front of me. This is my matchup. This is our game plan, what we're doing. And I don't hear anything. Like, even when fans are talking and stuff, like I see a lot of guys, like, saying stuff to fans now because they're screaming. This and that. I don't really hear any of that. You know what I mean? And that really helps me get into the mode of, like, okay, yeah, like, this guy can go off at any given time. You know what I mean? So, and, and you know, once that happens, it's, I mean, you, you're going to need a couple of double teams or you're going to need to figure something out to be able to, you know, stop me from getting the shot off. So, at the end of the day, um, that tunnel vision is crazy, man. Incredible. And you played in Charlotte under Michael Jordan. How was it playing for him? Was it nerve-wracking? Was he, like, really cool, perfectionist, but you got to watch yourself around him? How was it? It was cool. It was cool. It was cool pulling up in the arenas, you know, seeing a Ferrari over there parked by itself. You know it's Michael, you know what I mean? Um, or, you know, at the games, he's on the bench. He's very, very involved and in tuned in the game, and he's on your side. You know what I mean? I mean, you, you if you mess up or whatever and you're not having a good game, he's going to be on you for sure. But also, he's on the refs. And, you know, as a, as, as a basketball player, you want to see, especially somebody who has, has, has played in the past anyway, our, you know, our greatest player ever, um, you want to see him in tune. Like, you don't want to see somebody coming to the game and not really into it, you know what I mean, or not even there and just not really worried about it, just being like the owner. Um, but, like, uh, when when Michael was there, it was it was different because he was you know he's sitting down like he's he's locked in you know what I mean watching the game like I seen you get that rebound what, you know what I mean like that type of feeling was an amazing feeling to be able to play for somebody like that it made me play a lot harder he, on top of Steve Clifford was a great coach um, he kept me playing hard so um, you know Michael would come into practice you know I think matter of fact it was a funny story with Michael Jordan one one time uh, I, I I don't I can't really remember the exact. Uh, reason why he came in, but I think we lost like four out of five games or something like that. We weren't playing to our potential at all, like literally really bad. And Mike came in and we sat down and we get ready for film and then he came in. I'm like, oh Lord, like we're really in trouble now. Like I thought we was going to just hear it from Cliff and Michael comes in and has, you know, a basic conversation with us and, you know, the conversation was like, you you MFers ain't, ain't earning your salary. You know what I mean? Like you got to be able to go out there and perform every night, night in, night out. I don't want to hear no excuses. Like that type of deal um, and I'll be honest with you, it woke us up. That was, I think that was the year that we, um, 
had a franchise record and wins and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So like hearing that from somebody like that and, you know, he's on our team, like it just, it resonates a little differently. You know what I mean? So. And he was 50, 51 at that time. Did he ever hop in any practices? I seen him one time. No, not practice for sure. No, Cliff wouldn't even let that happen. Um, uh, but I seen him play one-on-one a couple of times after practice with a couple guys. Um, you know, obviously he, he might still think he got it, but you know, father time is undefeated, you know, so. The competitiveness is still there. The mental and the mindset is still there, but your body, you know, might tell you to do one thing. I want to say, I want to say it was Kimber. It was Kimber or somebody else. But to be honest with you, like that was 2011. I was in Charlotte, 2013. I think I came back 14, 15, something like that. So that's you know a lot of years, you know, uh, down the road as far as him being you know very active and playing and stuff like that. But I think it was Kimber, um, and it was kind of like some nonchalant type thing. It wasn't like you know shirts off, let's get it, we sweating hard type thing. Um, but I, you know, father time is undefeated and, and that, I, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. How important was the NBA G League in the beginning of your career? And how did that kind of shape you getting to the league? That's great. That's actually a great question. Nobody really ever asked me anything like that before. Um, I think it was very, very beneficial to me. Um, at the time, no, I didn't, you know, we want to go to the NBA straight out of college. We want to go straight to the NBA. That's the fit, you know what I mean? Um, but it was a blessing in disguise for me to go through what I went through because, you know, once I made it, it made it that more important to me. Um, it made, it made it feel like, feel like I had to grind to get there. Nobody really ever, 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 ever handed me anything. You know what I mean? So that, that gave me a chip on my shoulder, um, to go out there and be able to perform night in and night out. was probably one of the reasons why I've had a, a long NBA career, um, was because I was all, every time I go out there, I'm hungry. You know what I mean? Like, I don't ask for anything. No no coach going to give you anything. No team's going to give you anything. So I had to go out there and earn it. Um, and that's just, I kind of like, you know, um, I don't know. Like I said, it just gave me a chip on my shoulders. I think it really helped me, you know, playing in the G League. Um, I was able to play a lot of minutes. And I really kind of found myself, for real. Like, if you watch, go back and watch the tapes, I really found myself um, in the G League where I was doing stuff I didn't even know I could do. You know, you crossing guys and going through the lane, had a couple of dunks, you know what I mean? Um, and it gave me this confidence of, like, you can't stop me. 30 points a game, you know what I mean? Like, it was like that. So once I got to the league, right, literally right after, when I got called up, every time my name was called in those, I think it was seven or eight games leading up to the the playoffs with the, with the Trailblazers, every single time I got in the game, I produced. You know what I mean? And that was all because of what I went through in the G League and then it helped me get my rhythm and find myself. So it, it, it worked out perfect for me. So I'm assuming you're a proponent of the NBA G League Ignite, these kids coming in before they're even drafted and, you know, perfecting their skills. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, it used to be the D League when I was, you know, when I was there. Um, it's the G League now. But, yeah, I'm, I'm all for, you know, the G League and stuff like that. Um, if that's what you need, if you, that's not what you need, then, then go wherever you need to go to get what you need. You know what I mean? So, um, but it definitely helps out. It, I think it definitely, like I said, it adds a chip on your shoulder, but it humbles you as well. Cause these college players now, um, you know, they come, they're freshmen and sophomores thinking they're, I'm a, I'm a league, I'm a league, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a leaguer. I'm, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm going to the NBA or I don't have to listen to you. I'm a, it kind of humbles you. And once it humbles you, it makes you work to get back to where you want to be. And, you know, you'll have a better career, I feel like, you know, after that. So, so the NBA to Italy, what were your initial expectations and, and how did it go? My initial expectation, I didn't really have any expectations other than just winning and trying to play the best basketball possible. Um, 
I didn't, to be honest with you, my mindset of like going over to Italy compared to where, how it really was, was two different things. Um, and I didn't, I didn't, I, it was kind of frowned upon for me. I, it was frowned upon for me, you know, going overseas. I never thought I would go overseas. Um, you know, once I did all, you know, grinded and worked my way up through the G League and got to the NBA, I thought I was, you know, I'm, I'm an NBA guy. Um, going overseas really humbled me, to be honest with you. Very, very like it really, really humbled me. Um, but it also helped me uh, mentally. Uh, it was a lot of, you know, things I went through mentally during that season, just be by being away from family for so long, but also just being in different countries and traveling and doing all this other stuff. Had tons of fun. Great. Um, but would I, would I do it again? I don't think so. You know what I mean? Like, I respect a lot of guys that have played overseas, that are playing overseas. I respect them to the utmost, more so than I did before I played overseas. Um, but I just don't think personally I'm at that point in my career where I want to dedicate another three to four or five years away from my family. Obviously, in the NBA, you're away from your family, but you're not away from your family like that. Um, and I'm at that point in my career like now where, you know, I kind of determine in a, in a certain way where I want to be, how I want to do it. Um, and overseas really was just not for me. But I think it helped me mentally. Um, and it was a great experience. Uh, Messina is a really, really like a really good coach. Um, crazy <laughs> really good coach though um, and the guys that I played with they were really good as well the team that I was on and the organization it's like an NBA team to be honest with you so it was it was it was great well that's another thing you could say you've done you've got a championship over there I'm sure you made good money yeah. and you traveled the world yeah. so you know yeah. just just a good memory to have yeah. um, yesterday or was it today I saw you post your McLaren on Instagram now, yeah. is that your hottest car? My, that car is car? one of my hottest cars. Um, I, 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 I've always loved cars, to be honest with you. Like, always loved cars. Um, I never had a supercar. since. Like, even when I was in the NBA, I've had, I've had Rolls Royces, Mercedes. Um, I mean, you name it, I've had it. But as far as, like, a supercar, um, never had. So I had the opportunity to be able to, um, you know, get the McLaren. And I got it. And once I sat in it, I just knew right away, like, wow, this is this is me. You know what I mean? So um, I, I do have some other cars, more family oriented cars, like a Maybach. And, you know, my fiance, she has a G-Wagon and stuff like that. Probably going to change up the fleet in, the, in you know, maybe by next year. Uh, I'm keeping the McLaren, disclaimer. Um, but, you know, I, and, it, and to be honest, it kind of I never knew this. <laughs> it kind of tapped me into a whole nother world that I never thought. Um, was out there to be honest with you like the car was they have their own following they had that's them they, they do that you know what i mean like your, your car meets your car shows um people you know guys who collect cars and do all kind of stuff to them it's it's a whole following out there um and i love it i love it and i'm you know within you know where i live at we have like this this big group we have where guys have their cars and stuff and some of the people that i've met it's just been amazing like i've met doctors i've met lawyers i've met I met a guy that owns like 50 gas stations. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's, I'm, I'm meeting these different types of people. Um, and it's just amazing, man. It's, 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 it's really, I feel like it's going to set me up for life somehow in some way. I don't know, you know, um, that's not my motive in it. it. I just have fun doing it, but you know, the, the type of people that I'm around, um, you know, it keeps my goals and dreams and everything like flowing in my head because that's all they talk about. And then when they, all they talk about, you keep going, something's going to come out of it. So, um, I'm I'm so glad I got that car to be honest with you, and you know hopefully you know down the road we can have five to ten more.
<laughs> is there is there a specific car you have your eyes on when you change up your fleet? Yeah, I, I do. One thing about me, I do my research. I'm not going to lie to you. I do my research. And most of my cars, I'll say 85% of my cars that I've had in my NBA career, I've made money on, which kind of sounds like weird to people. Like, wow, you know, you, you made, how did you do that? You know what I mean? I've made money on my cars. And one one thing about me, I keep my cars up. You know, I keep them serviced and make sure everything is good on them. And then I don't do too much to them, you know, to make them, to make the next buyer not want to buy it. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, I, I, I do have some other things, you know, maybe a Rolls Royce could be in the, in the near future. Um, McLaren, I, I'm probably going to keep the McLaren 720. It's just, a, it's, it's just a great, great, great car. Um, and then I don't know, maybe, maybe another family car, like an Escalade or something like that. Or I had a Lamborghini truck before the McLaren. So maybe get the Lamborghini truck back or something like that. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but I'm really into cars and I do know my cars. I do. I'm into cars a little bit and I have seen some lamp trucks around. What's better, a G-Wagon or a lamp truck? Lamp truck by far, just because, um, and I've, I've had both. So that, this is a perfect situation. Um, the G-Wagon doesn't have space in the back seat like it's not too it's not too much space it's kind of boxy um it's it, the, the g63 is the new ones they're, they're kind of jerky jerky you know it's just like a um they're a lot better than the old version because i had the old version too i had an old version g65 which was a v12 um engine that one didn't have any power steering like i had to like take the take the steering wheel like and really like try to turn it so that was hard but the, the new g wagons mercedes did a great job 100 but it's not better than a Lambo truck. Lambo truck, you get the best of both worlds. It's very fast, has a lot of power, um, and it's smooth. It's smooth, and it has actual space in the back, which it might not look like it the way it's slanted in the back a little bit, but it has a lot of space. I've, I've, I have fit um, two little girls back there, plus one other person in the middle before. You know what I mean? G-Wagon is possible, um, but you're going to be cramped up. Like when I'm driving a G-Wagon and, and my daughter's in the back, I have to literally beat my knees or touching the dashboard just because she has, she doesn't have any space back there. So um, G-Wagon or Lamb Truck, Lamb Truck. Any interest in a Tesla? And it's funny, my wife, she won't let me get a Tesla. I, I wanted to get a Tesla. I, I put solar panels on the house, like I'm, you know, renewable, clean energy, no light bill, you know, the whole thing. Um, and I want to add to that by getting a Tesla, tax breaks, all that, it was great. Like, it was just dope. No, she, she, it's not really her vibe. It's not her style. I don't have anything against Tesla. I absolutely love it. If I could get one, I would. Um, I think they're cool. The doors open up in the back. You know what I mean? The only thing I don't like about the new Teslas, I'm not sure what their model is, um, is the steering wheel. I think that's kind of, you know, we, we're not there yet. We, we're going to be there soon. Not, maybe not soon. We're, we're going to be there at some point, but we're not there yet. Uh, I just think it's kind of dangerous, to be honest with you. Gotcha. And back to the NBA for a couple of last questions. Who's your MVP this year, and who do you have winning the championship? Oh, I haven't watched enough NBA to tell you exactly who my NBA is going to be, but I've seen a lot of headlines, and I, and I do know this player, and I do know he's very, very good. Um, MB, um, I mean, he he he's a walking, he's a walking double double for sure. But like he he, he commands so many double teams, it's not even funny. You know what I mean? So. Um, he's a really good player. And I haven't really, to be honest with you, I haven't really watched too many games of him, but I've seen the headlines and I feel like I can comment on it just because I know what type of player he is. And I've seen some of the other guys out there who potentially could be that I just don't think, you know, it's, it's, it's possible this year. But um, Embiid, I think he can be a really, really – I feel like he should have got it maybe last – was it last year? Maybe not. Yeah, it might have been last year. Maybe he should have got it. Um, 
but yeah, I, I'm going with him as far as MVP for this year. What was the, what was the other question? And who's your championship pick? Again, like we still we still really early. Um, I like the Clippers. I like the Clippers. I'm once a Laker, always a Laker. You know what I mean? But um, I just don't. I just feel like the Lakers didn't uh, construct the team right, and I feel like they they knew that. You know, they just try to figure it out and see what would happen. But one thing about the Lakers, I'm gonna tell you. Especially in the fan, like it's being a Laker fan and just anything about the Lakers. Like the Lakers don't play. Like the organization, they don't they don't mess around. Uh, LeBron don't mess around. The fans don't mess around. So like we're not gonna watch this too much more long. You know what I mean? Like something's gonna happen. Whether you know Genie Bus has to tap into that wallet a little bit more for some luxury tag. Something gonna happen. You know what I mean? So I I, I don't think we're gonna keep watching what we're watching. Um, hopefully I'm you know on the roster as well. Uh, when that does happen. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I think the Clippers have have the best chance right now. That would be nice to see you on there. And, Troy, back to what you yeah. said about not seeing too many games. Listen, you're a follower of NBA Buzz now. You're going to get all the best headlines, all the best stats uh, and everything. So Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, everybody yeah, you'll right. be able to see. And, yeah. and, Troy, lastly, if an NBA team was watching right now, what would you tell them about your game and where you are now? feel like I'm a, I'm a I'm a lot more seasoned than I than I was you know uh, younger. Um, I don't have a lot of miles on my legs and my knees. You know I might be 31, but I'm probably 31 in the 26 year old body. Um, and the minutes in my career can attest to that. Um, you know and and also I just I just feel like I can bring a lot to the team as well as well as what I do best, which is shooting. I feel like in the NBA as a player, which I tell some a, mo- a lot of the young guys. You don't have to be able to do everything very well, but you do have to do something very well, um, and you have to master that. And, and you know that we there's there there's only one LeBron, there's only one you know what I mean. There's only one James Harden. So don't go out there and try to do everything. You know I know what I can bring to the table. I know what I can do best, which is shoot the ball. Um, and I feel like I'm the ultimate professional, like on and off the court. Like you're gonna you're gonna get um, you know a, a very you know, dope professional who's going to be trying to help the young guys out, who's coming to practice, you know, two, three hours early, who's working out. Um, you, you're going to get that with me. You know what I mean? And it's not just talk, it's, it's proven. It's been with every team I've been on. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we can talk all this talk or whatever, but you have to be able to produce, you know what I mean? And I'm right now, like, I'm not, I don't, I don't like talking people, you know, talking their heads off of what I can really bring to the table. Like, you know, at the end of the day, like all it takes is one workout you know, two workouts, three workouts, you know what I mean? To be able to see what, what we can really get, what they can really get. Um, so a workout here and there, if the, you know, if they want to see, um, you know, that's, that's no problem. You know what I mean? So um, I, I feel like in this day and age, a lot of agents, you think, hey, man, I can tell you this guy, he can bring this, he can do that. No, I can show you better than I can tell you. You know what I mean? So um, that's just what I feel like I bring to the table. And I feel like that's with a lot of teams, not just one or two. I feel like a lot of teams need that. Um, so that's what it is. I'm Mikey Nomagala, that was Troy Daniels, and that was episode 43 of Inside Buzz. Troy, a pleasure to have you. Man, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. It was a pleasure.